This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Second week of Spooktober. It's overdue. The podcast for the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew, and this is our fifth or sixth or seventh annual Spooky Spectacular, where we talk about bats and pumpkins and stuff. I went back, Andrew, and I <laughs> did find what I think might be the first episode of Spooktober, which was recorded in 2014, and we were discussing The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, Okay, and we talked for eight minutes about a book about Phil Hartman that you read first, <laughs> and then... <laughs> well, why did we do that, I wonder? I don't know. You had just read a biography about Steve Hart- uh, Phil Hartman. Who's Steve, Steve Hartman? Who's Steve Hartman? his brother who's lesser (laughs) known um so that's cool our show has always been really tight and just focused on what you guys at home crave yes totally books which is the books and this week i'm gonna tell andrew you read a a ghost bride i I did read the ghost bride by young shi chu um every week one of us reads a book that we've never read before and tells the other person about it and october is fun because it's all spooky most of it we get spooky. all spooked up in here yeah well, sweaters this, are spooky not scoopy did you did you sneak a not spooky one in under no, the door <laughs> i did a little a uh, real lightly spooky one over the transom no this one um, which was a Patreon recommendation by Pierce. Thank you, Pierce. Patreon.com slash Uh This one is spooky because, Andrew, what's spookier than betrothing a ghost? Yeah, what's spookier, ghosts or marriage? Yo! Right? Yo. <laughs> Do you think ghosts get betrothed? Do you think... I mean, what's what? A, what is a ghost vow like? Because death... Part of death happened already. So what do ghosts say? Whoa! Like till we get bored with it, I guess. Till <laughs> we get bored with it, I guess. Till mm-hmm. w- till I get reincarnated and you get stuck in hell. Mm-hmm. Till it depends. I guess it depends on your theology. Sure. Well, that yes, that's fair. I think like, different. Am I, am I coming back? Yes. Do I? Do I have to stay when here? You get reincarnated. Does the odometer like roll over <laughs> in the first place? <laughs> Well, I still know my friends when I'm a bug and they're Mm -hmm. a lion. Um, That would be worse, I think, than not knowing. That would be worse. Um, So we're going to talk about this book. Um, I read it. Andrew didn't. And um, that's how it goes. What do you you know about? By sometimes, I mean every other episode. (laughs) Yeah, about right. What do you know about Yangshi Chu, Andrew? Um, I know that my notes window is hidden behind several <laughs> other browser windows. I know that uh, she is uh, originally from Malaysia. Yeah. Uh, but and uh, Malaysia, the the area she's from is, was a former British colony, which I think is going to factor into the book like some. Like it takes place in 
kind of colonial times, right? Yes, it does. It takes place in Malaya, which is eight, the book is set in 1893. Um, you can research your history of of Malaysia for where exactly it is, but there are people who are. It has not achieved independence as we currently understand now. Yeah, sure. Um, so her dad was a diplomat, and so they moved around between like Japan and Germany and Thailand and the Philippines. Um, then she went. This is all from a, an interview she did with BookPage.com. She went to Harvard. Uh, where she met her husband and worked as a management consultant before the couple moved to California about 13 years ago. I now describe myself as an unemployed housewife, she says, Riley. (laughs) Um, And she she just talks a little bit about um, her experience growing up. She definitely talked a lot to um, her family members about like their history and, and the history of Malaysia. And um, she wrote a second book pretty recently, right? Like in, 2018 the, or 2019. The Night Tiger, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so most of the interviews and stuff I found with her were actually from the tour for that book. Like Interesting. This Ghost Bride was pretty well received, but I could I just found a lot more like mainstream yes. press for Night Tiger, yes. which I think is aimed at a slightly older audience or found a slightly older audience yeah. than, uh, than Ghost Bride did. Mm-hmm. This book definitely, um, we'll talk about it. It has some young adult novel trappings even though i don't think it explicitly is even though it's gotten marketed as such in some you know we'll we'll talk about why i think it works for a young adult audience even though it doesn't have to be limited to it yeah um so she talks a lot about um in the place where she's from there is there are still these like remnants of of colonialism like there are these old like long british houses yeah and some of her it's like her mom's friends like used to work as servants for some of the british people in those houses and so she just seems she seems really fascinated with that history and then she also says um growing up i realized that there was very little literature on malaysia um and what there was was primarily written by british writers like somerset mogham uh but hearing my mom's stories about her friend the maid i thought there's a whole other story about local people. I realize that I've always been hearing the local side, and yet what is documented is really the colonial side, which I don't think is that's that doesn't sound uncommon, right? Yeah, no, that does not sound uncommon. That's how like colonialism and imperialism work. Correct, right? Um, and she is of her family. She is of Chinese descent, which factors, you know, I think the characters she's writing about are similar um, in this book as well, and she's kind of borrowing from the melting pot or you know mixing pot of cultures that was happening at that time um Mm -hmm. she actually says that she was inspired to write this book uh based on some research she was doing for what she calls a disaster disastrous detective novel about an elephant that she threw away (laughs) that's why no don't throw it away Uh, And she came across a sentence that says, the incidence of spirit marriage amongst the Chinese has declined. And she was like, well, what does that mean? Oh, no. Um, And so we'll get into how this book portrays the practice of ghost marriages. Um, I feel like the Chinese David Brooks would have a lot of columns to write about the decline (laughs) of ghost marriages and what it says about the deterioration of our social fabric. Uh, this book was recently, I think it's in production now as like a Netflix original series was optioned. Yeah, it's a uh, Chinese. So Netflix is not allowed to distribute in China. And there is a ton like 
just huh. in the news in the last like week that we could talk about if we really oh, want boy. to get into it, which I don't think we do. But um, the series is a six episode Chinese language, huh. uh, yeah, like short, small batch. I can't think of anything else. So it's a small Bespoke batch TV, TV show. show? <laughs> it's it's a mini series, <laughs> six episodes Chinese language. Can go run with subtitles, but um, yeah, yeah. Netflix is really just trying to it it is interesting because they are trying to serve historically underserved audiences because they just need to be everywhere and serve yeah. absolutely everyone so That's interesting. the the results of that in in particular i think they've done an interest they've done interesting work highlighting uh projects by like asian american creators so they've done a couple of ali wong specials like mm, comedy mm-hmm. stand-up specials at this point which as far as i know are not about triggering people unlike most netflix comedy specials um there's also that movie with her in it always be my maybe and then the adaptation of jenny han's book um to all the boys i loved before oh that's a good movie i Susanna like that movie loves. yeah, yeah that was fun cute yeah so just interesting interesting strategy for them and i'm i'm curious to see what else they uh they come up with well and interesting that they aren't trying to turn this book into like a long-running thing they're just like this is a six episodes that's it i mean listen if it makes money who who can say well but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure 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 um i think it's wise that they are not pretending the book has story that it doesn't um mm-hmm. so yeah let's take a quick break and then i'll tell you all about getting married to ghosts okay Ooh, Craig, I could really take a load off during this break. Um, one of the things I could do, I guess, is brush my teeth. There's enough time for that, right? There, if we talk for exactly two minutes. There is enough time for you to brush your teeth. But Andrew, what do you know if you're using <laughs> the best toothbrush that you could use for your mouth? I do know because I'm using a Quip toothbrush. Whoa, you want to tell me all about it? <laughs> Yeah, how'd I know you were going to talk about the Quip toothbrush? Well, I know because they're our sponsor this week. Quip is a cool electric toothbrush with sensitive vibrations that guide gentle brushing for the dentist recommended two minutes with 30-second pulses, ensuring an even clean. And Quip automatically delivers brush heads to you every three months for clean new bristles right on schedule so you're not brushing with nasty old disintegrated bristles where all the colors faded out of them. You know know those ones that just really... You're probably making your mouth worse <laughs> by putting them in there. Rubbing the food dirt back into your teeth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, these thoughtful features make brushing something you actually want to do twice every day. So uh, Quip starts at just $25 and you'll get your first refill free at getquip.com slash overdue. This is a simple way to support our show and start brushing better, but you have to go to getquip.com slash overdue to get your first refill, a $5 value free Go right now to getquip.com slash overdue. Get quip.com slash overdue. So, Andrew, you're married. I'm married to a human bride. I'm also married to a human bride, and I hate that sentence. I don't like saying it. Susanna is my human bride, and together we've made a boy child (laughs) named Henry. He's still asleep, as far as I can tell. I'm glad, because I wouldn't want to scare him into waking up with the idea of marrying a ghost. Or if his mom was a ghost. Whoa. Ghost mom. 
could you be half ghost? If I had a ghost bride, like probably. Yeah, that might work. Anyway, this book is interesting. I dug it. Let's just start there. I dug this one. Review over. I had a nice, good time. Good one. You dug you dug it like a grave. Whoa. <laughs> um so like let me give you the big picture on what I think this book is up to and what people might dig about it and then they can like pause the podcast and go read it and come back if they want that sounds good um because people do do that they tell us when they do that um i did i did um so it's got like two different it's two different smoothies that i think are pretty well blended Mm -hmm. spooky ghost part and the bride part right um yeah maybe (laughs) yeah in the ghost smoothie is the blend definitely of the different folk and religious belief systems that Chu has put together. So she says in her notes at the end, um, Chinese notions of the afterlife often seem to be a mixture of Buddhism, Taoism, ancestor worship, and folk beliefs. Um, And she borrows the concept, you know, the Buddhist concept of reincarnation. um, But there's also like several paradises in the afterlife. Um, She has also worked in this like literary tradition of a bureaucratic hell wherever like there are several courts where people might be corrupt and you have to like sit for judgment before you can go to the next phase of your afterlife i feel like that's that's not an uncommon depiction of hell right is like mundanity is is hell not it's not necessarily pitchforks and fire in your butt it's like doing your taxes yeah. for all of eternity or something like <laughs> well, that. Well, and that grifters can still grift in the afterlife is a key component. Um, <sighs> yeah, I know, right? <clears throat> she hell is getting all the calls <laughs> I get about my vehicle's warranty being about to expire. Um, so she. Hey, uh, what? Uh, what? Uh, I did some research on this. What religion do ghosts practice? Oh, dang! Is it Buddhism? Oh <laughs> Oh man, I don't. Yeah, okay, that's. I made my contribution. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, You can go. So there's a lot of customs that involve various like funeral offerings for the dead. There are various types of ghosts that our main character Lee Lan meets throughout the book um, that behave differently. Some of which, as you alluded to in in, before the break, like uh, depending on your belief system. You are a ghost, but we don't know what happens to you after you're done being a ghost. Like, she meets a dead Dutchman who's, like, standing on a street uh, admiring part of a building he built, like ghosts might do. And, uh-huh. and she's like, what happens to you? And he's like, I don't know. Maybe I get to meet God if there's a God. And she's like, cool. My <laughs> afterlife's very different. See you later. Imagine being a ghost and not knowing any more about the afterlife than you do before you became a ghost. Yo. Like the, I feel like the first thing you do when you die is you find out which religion was right (laughs) (laughs) yeah this this book kind of functions with the idea that maybe people get whatever the version that they subscribe to is which is an interesting notion um so So i don't think totally out of place in a lot of traditions yes true 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 um like i think there there are some that just hold that all roads lead to god and 
it's just important that you be doing something. Yes, and and that you be doing something good, hopefully. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. That was I thought that was important. Oh, sorry. We need to specify <laughs> these days. I think. Um, so I I will get into the specifics how it works in the book, but I think a big selling point of the book is is the way that Chu takes what traditionally has already been a blend of different folklore beliefs and then kind of puts it specifically into this plot. The other thing I think that it, I think that it's doing is it's blending a couple different genres. Um, you can come at it expecting sort of a YA novel where it's like centered on a protagonist who is just about to turn 18. It's always from her point of view. It involves a lot of like firsts and a lot of like, what life am I going to lead after this adventure's over? Um, a lot of the YA like fantasy that we've read for the show, I felt some resonance with where it's like, okay, I was selected to be this hero. And then once the quest is over, who am I going to be afterwards? Which is like always a metaphor for being a teen, I guess. Yeah, I feel like that's a reason why people get mad at the little like Harry Potter epilogue yeah I mean, the, the yeah. one reason is that she like kills a bunch of people and then jumps ahead <laughs> like 13 years before anybody can deal with any grief but in some ways i feel like it's it's inevitably going to be disappointing when you show that the legendary hero has grown up to be like an accountant or whatever hell or like is bureaucracy <laughs> yeah for sure um and it doesn't it not closes... that there's anything wrong with either of those professions it's just not no. the kind of thing that you imagine doing when you're a chosen one yeah well and usually you read those books kind of identifying with one or more of the main characters especially if you're of a similar age bracket and then like your life doesn't jump ahead 10 years so you're excited to envision what they could become in the same way that you envisioned being in their shoes. Um, and to take that away sometimes feels rough. That, that doesn't happen in this book. There's no time jump like that. Um, is it, it could also be a like supernatural murder mystery. Um, one of the main characters who we meet early on in the book, uh, Lim Chan Ching, I think, uh, he is a ghost and that's how we meet him. And he's like, someone murdered me. And you don't know if he's telling the truth you don't know if the person he's accusing is telling the truth. You're not quite sure why he's involved in the fomenting of a hell rebellion, which I'll tell you more about a little bit later. Uh, but that the like underpinnings of, of a suspense novel are there. And then the third, it's like, a like mis- whether there is even a mystery is a mystery. Yes, a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then the third component of it is like a romance like a teen romance novel and not even just teen but like who's is she going to become a ghost bride and to whom and there are like three options over the course of the book um of of progressing quality sure Uh, yeah that's that's one of the actually um there's a usa today review of this that was one of the few like reviews I could find from yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. outlet. And they'd said um, they gave it three out of four stars and generally had good things to say about it. But says uh, choose book is a bit overstuffed from whodunit to ghost story to coming of age to romance. There's enough plot to fill several more novels. So I'm kind of interested to hear how you think all those elements interact and whether they feel organic or. Sure, 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 sure. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I th- personally, I think they worked but i want to like tell you a little bit about them before i tell you why i think they please tell me because we've doing a podcast about a book called ghost bride and you haven't told me (laughs) anything about ghost brides yet it's we're like 25 minutes in yeah 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 yeah. so 
the very first sentence of the book. Let me find it. A great place to start. It's always I a suggest good, I suggest looking at the beginning if you're trying it's to find it. It's always a good place to find it in my highlights. One evening my father asked me whether I would like to become a ghost bride. Asked is perhaps not the right word. Uh, what did you say, I asked? My father was smoking opium. It was his first pipe of the evening. I presumed he was relatively lucid. My father, with his sad eyes and skin pitted like an apricot colonel, was a scholar of sorts. Our family used to be quite well off, but in recent years we had slipped until we were just hanging on to middle class respectability. A ghost bride, Lilan, he said. So that right there, the very first page even, just really sets up the stage for, for where Lilan is coming at the beginning of this book. Um, she lives mm-hmm. with her sad dad in Malacca, which is a city in colonial Malaysia referred to as Malaya. Um, they are fallen on hard times. They have about like tenth of the number of people working in their house that they should have for how much money they're, you know, and, and wealth that their family used to have. Um, Lilan's mother died when she was very young due to a smallpox uh, epidemic that, you know, pockmarked her dad and through a mixture of grief and like not wanting people to see him, he kind of fell into opium addiction and retreated from the world around him. Okay. Uh, Which has also led to them falling on hard financial times because he is not maintaining his business ties and he's kind of just spending whatever money that they have left. And lo and behold, uh, one of the ways that they can provide their family any sort of security is to marry her off to someone of means um the book is very aware of that as a primary like source of income and also purpose for women in this society Um, just like generally speaking yes 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 um other women that she speaks to throughout the book are predominantly um wives servants or concubines of some kind um some families have multiple wives uh, usually at least one or two of those women are not having a great time in that situation, um, as That's, portrayed in the book. That feels statistically about right. Yeah, I would think so. Um, and so he has turned down this initial offer of her becoming a ghost bride just because it just, it you know, he couldn't dare... Uh, but really, he's kind of shifting the Overton window on her, right? Like a you bring bit. it up. It's it's like oh, this is this is wow. You're not going to go for this, yes, unless unless, unless you would maybe. This is unthinkable. We'd never do it. But what do you think? Yeah, because he she, she is like man. Oh, there we wouldn't really do that unless we were really like hard up for cash. And he's like, Lilan, we can't afford to buy ice anymore. And she's like, Oh dang. <laughs> That's we're having a hard time. Uh, ice might actually be more expensive yes. than opium. And it's in possible. This That's a good point. Yeah. Um, so their family is Chinese and they keep Chinese customs. Uh, her dad is Confucianist. So he really does not believe in any of the supernatural elements or kind of afterlife stuff, which leads him to not be. It kind of removes him from that part of the book. Like she can't go to him with any like ghost bridey stuff when it comes to like that when the actual ghosts get involved because the custom as referred to is this idea that you might marry someone who is dead uh 
to like clear their name or to um, maybe you're bear you're going to bear them an heir and so we're going to bring that heir into the family uh by having you marry this person who is recently deceased so this is a, a wait so you would not their heir though for real like well maybe how would the- maybe like maybe you maybe you had sex with a concubine and then you died and then oh okay that okay, kind okay. of thing um sometimes it would be between two people who were deceased um and it's a way of like uniting families through marriage. Um, and most of Chu's researches from her notes at the end of the book uh, says that this happened predominantly in overseas Chinese communities like the one in Malaya. Um, but she wonders if uh, that is actually just like the Chinese Communist Party, like suppressing information about that in mainland China. Who knows? Yeah, um, totally possible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so in this case, this dude named uh, Lim Tian Ching, uh, who was supposed to be the like heir big man on campus of the Lim family, uh, he died of a fever. Maybe someone sounds likely <laughs> we sure. don't know. And they want to marry him uh, to someone to kind of give him the proper, you know, send off, I think have someone to burn things for him and do funeral rites for him. Um, the way your voice keeps going up at the end of each sentence makes me, it's putting me on edge. So well, like, what's the, what's the catch? The catch is that she does go to mayor. She, she goes to visit the family and the matron of the family, Madam Lim, uh, kind of makes a hard sell on this idea and takes like asks from, Lilan like a small ribbon of hers uh and along that like during that visit Lilan sneaks away and runs into some cute guy fixing clocks uh and has like a little meet cute with the clock fixer guy and she's like oh dang why couldn't I be with him he's a cute clock fixer man uh and she goes to sleep that night thinking about clock fixer man and someone else (laughs) shows up in her dream and it's none other than Lim Chan Ching who can now invade her dreams thanks to the ribbon that her mom took. So like we are now oh, int- no. we are now introduced to the idea that if a ghost if like Andrew if you became a ghost and you wanted to visit someone I could go get one of their things for you and like put it on a funeral altar and uh-huh. then it would be like it would connect a ghost thread to them and then you could just like hop into their dreams whatever you wanted man that is that is tough that would that would introduce a lot of tough conversations like <laughs> if you were if you if you went out with somebody from one of the apps oh my you would god always have to you would always have to be wondering like is this a ghost thing oh my god you're right are we really on a date or is this a ghost thing? or are you collecting a cup of mine to then take back for a ghost <laughs> <laughs> um so she finds out that the guy, and she's like not happy about this dude coming into her dreams. He's very pushy and strange about it. Um, he claims to like know her and remember her because he saw her once, which makes it weird. Um, and whenever, whenever he comes into her dreams and she like deliberately calls him dead or references that he's dead, uh, the world that he has built for her in in her dream gets a little shaky, and then he kind of like gets kicked out of the matrix. 
Um, and this kind of happens a couple of times where she kind of wields that power over him. Um, she finds out that uh, he had a sister that didn't really like him named Yan Hong. Yan Hong becomes a suspect a little bit later on for this potential murder. Uh, she also learns that the cute clock fixer boy uh, was actually Chan Bei, who is now the heir of the Lim family after Lim Chan Ching has died. Uh, so maybe he's a suspect, but he also plays a cool uh, like instrument and is hot, and she likes him. So now she doesn't know how to feel about this because maybe she loves a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> but he plays an instrument. Musicians get all the ladies. It's true. He Even did, when I, they murder people. Yeah, and I don't think that they knew Wonderwall back then, but it's very possible. The book was not specific that he was not playing Wonderwall. So you never Surely, know. like late 19th century colonial Malaysia had its own Wonderwall. I don't the, know what The British be, brought Wonderwall with them, whatever the version <laughs> yeah. of Wonderwall was. <laughs> the great Wonderwall. Um, and of course, the the saddest part of this is... Lilan is worried she's going to be become a ghost bride. She doesn't really know what that means, except that she's going to have to live in this house being literally not like with a person and just be stuck there for the rest of her life. It would absolve her family of debts. Um, but she finds out from her dad that actually her dad was good friends with Chan Bei's dad, uh, who was the dead guy's uncle. And there was a marriage plot to get Chan Bei and Lilan together. But now that he's the actual heir to the family fortune, he can't be with someone of lower status like her. Okay. And this is all very sad because now she can't be with the hot murderer. She ha- <laughs> she might get married. <laughs> and he's, I'm done. At this point in the book, we don't know if he's a murderer or not, but it's on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and she might get married to this ghost. And the ghost shows up again. And he tells her that if she does not agree to marry him, he is going to haunt the hell out of her and that the border officials are on his side. And I highlighted that and I just wrote a big note that said border officials because there are this is the first time that the book is like, let's talk about hell bureaucracy. Oh, no. (laughs) Let's talk about the nine judges of the courts of hell and how they have like. What they have bailiffs essentially that are like ox-headed demons that can walk around hell and collect yeah, people. Ugh. And I guess hell, like if it was going to recreate any government agency, it would probably be oh yeah, CBP or ICE or somebody. <laughs> it's right? pretty bad. It is pretty bad out there. And so he is—he's gotten them on his side, and so they're not going to punish him for like haunting the living and being a, a pain in the butt. Um, so he can make her life miserable. So. Now she is legit being haunted by a ghost husband and she sets off on a plan to get him exercised. And there's like a whole section where she goes to a medium. She gets this like ghost paper that you put on your wall to keep the ghosts out in in your windows rather. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And like this, it doesn't sound real. It's like you like fly paper that you'd hang up in your garage. It just has like all these like dead ghosts stuck in it. I think it probably has like (laughs) like uh, special characters like written on the scrolls and whatnot. But yes, it is like what kind of paper can you put in your wall? 
Um, now, I do remember that from when I was a kid, Andrew. I was told a story as a kid that a ghost couldn't come through your window unless it counted all of the little holes in your screen first. Have you ever heard anything like that? Like ways no, that's to- ridiculous. That's a ridiculous thing. I don't know who told me that. But I some liar, I think. I still sounds think like a about liar told sometime. you that. Maybe a ghost told me that to make me feel oh, did safe. It, did a ghost write this? <laughs> so she's got to put the ghost paper up. She also gets stuff to, uh, like a potion that she can drink. That's basically just fancy opium. Um, that's supposed to keep her in a deeper sleep so that she won't get visited by the ghost. She takes a tiny bit of it. It doesn't work. He still shows up again. So she drinks a whole lot of it, and lo and behold. She is now part ghost. She gets kicked out of her body. <laughs> and she like wakes up again and everyone's crying over her because she's like sick and in a coma, basically. And she's like, oh, dip, I'm a ghost. <laughs> this- no, I'm a half ghost. <laughs> and I, the ghost rules are kind of fun. Like, I'm trying to think. I think in the movie Casper, a human gets turned into a ghost for a period you of time. You mean the computer animated Casper yes. where the ghosts eat the food and it falls on the floor? Okay. Correct. That that classic That's film. That's gross. Yes. Gross. Um, so ghosts are like a little, or at least she as a ghost is a little lighter than usual. She can like climb very easily, but also if you like went near her, she'd get pushed back by like being displaced by the air around you. Um, yeah. Got to min-max your ghost. Yes. She can so they do some things better than others. She can pass through some walls. Um, she is connected to it, wait some. Are there rules for some walls? Um, is it like Wi-Fi signal? Like <laughs> it is so, sort of like a Wi-Fi signal. She can go through like paper screens and curtains and stuff, but she can't go through like a concrete wall. Does ghost paper actually work in this book? It does work. Ghost okay, paper's right. real. Yes, for okay. real. Um. Product placement for ghost paper. Later in the book, uh, when when they think that she's back from her sickness, they take the ghost paper down, and another ghost gets in through the window. Oh no! You You take your firewall down for one second, and then you have a cookie. Um, That's how that works, right? Yes, right. And the cookies (laughs) all get in. Um, She does find out that she is uh, tied to Hot Town Bay. Um, through a pocket watch that he gave her as a gift earlier in the book. So she does later like develop the ability to visit his dreams and talk to him, even though he doesn't know that she's a ghost. Uh, and Andrew, ghosts can't eat, but they do need to eat. So here's how that works. Is okay. This is why you would need to put like food offerings on like a small altar in your house. And we see this happen a couple times in the book, and it uh, Lilan has to make this. She's like a ghost. She's wandering around her city being like, oh, crap, I'm a ghost. What am I going to do? And <laughs> she's getting very hungry. And so she goes into this house where they're having dinner, and someone like takes some rice and puts it on the altar because they have one for whatever ghost haunts their house. And she just goes over and like smells it a lot. And then she gets she derives nourishment from the smell. Hmm. Interesting. So I will ask Andrew if you were a ghost again. I'm going to ask you this again. What okay. what food should I put out for you? I mean, what I imagined in my mind instantly is like an old cartoon mm-hmm. where somebody mm-hmm. puts like a pie on a windowsill, and yes. then the cartoon character like drifts over on the pie stink. Yes. So you um, want so a I cartoon would have pie? To be, I I want someone to put a pie on a windowsill, and then I would play like a cool game where I, as a ghost, would drift over to it like a cartoon. Yeah. Okay. 
If and you, then I would eat the pie, probably. If you could, if you could eat it, I would smell the pie and derive nourishment from it. Yes, that makes sense. Um, you could just put out a bowl of Tostitos and then like burn them to make sure that they get all the ghost energy to me. I'd love it. You and your chips. Me and my chips. I do like this depiction of people in the afterlife or people who are ghosts not having they've they've not derived any particular like knowledge of the universe out of it they're yes. just like crappy anxious people <laughs> but they're ghosts now yeah so which kind of is which is kind of pessimistic actually <laughs> and this is the like first stage so most of the ghosts they like enter this phase where they're still uh, i guess essentially baby ghosts where they don't really know and she is not the multiple people remark on this throughout the book. She is not technically a ghost. She is like a spirit separated from her body. And the longer that she's out of her body, like multiple people tell her, like, don't eat ghost food or else you'll get stuck as a ghost. Because that's the rule. <laughs> <laughs> that's how they get you. Yeah. And so there are people called hungry ghosts who um, no one did their funeral rites. This is real. No one did their funeral rites, so they just wander around like hoping to just like, you know, beg for beg for ghost food, basically, and maybe they can make it to the other side. So you have to cross the plains of the dead, and then and this is an invention of Chu. She she cops to this in the notes. It's a kind of a limbo area where you can hang out and like live for a little while if people burned enough money and resources for you to be to have them in the afterlife Mm -hmm. and this is where we get the concept of hell money andrew which is my favorite okay hell bucks hell literally the phrase hell money she meets a dude Okay, i'm gonna call him hell bucks okay she meets a dude that's fine a couple people she meets as a ghost she meets a woman named uh fan excuse me um who is not supposed to still be around she was supposed to report for her hell court date and she didn't show and there's probably they a, get they get mad when you do there's that. probably a hell warrant out for her arrest but she is lingering around her husband her older husband's house until he dies because he's gonna have a bunch of money and so she wants to stay with him so she, the only thing you could do to get out of hell court would be to be like oh yeah i'm still alive not a ghost yes yes that gets, that gets me out of ghost jury duty <laughs> i know too many ghosts i can't serve mm-hmm. on this ju- on this jury um, she meets Fan. Fan's a little like we don't know if we trust her, but she pops up a couple times through the book. She also meets this guy named Erlang or Erlong. I'm not sure. Um, he is a a riff on a character that shows up in a lot of Chinese folklore, including uh, the book Journey to the West, where he is like some sort of afterlife middle management, like good guy Pinkerton character. He's a special agent for the afterlife, investigating wrongdoing. Um, and he tells her about the corruption that exists in hell because once you introduce hell money into the hell bureaucracy, of course, some of the judges are going to be corrupt. So now this is a problem. Again, just just sounds like regular life. Really kind really, of a bummer. Hmm. Now, this is a problem, Andrew, because did you know that natural disasters are caused by rebellions in hell? That's what I learned from this book. <laughs> I had heard that. Apparently, the volcanic eruption of Krakatau was because someone fomented a rebellion in hell, and someone's about to do it again in this book. And we got like rainstorms are God peeing. Yep. Uh huh. And earthquakes are the devil's bowling. 
Yes, and, and volcanic eruptions goes. are when uh, judges try to fight other judges in hell. Devil put something in the microwave but didn't take the foil off. That a is erupts. what a volcano <laughs> eruption is. You're right. Um, so Lilon, who I haven't talked too much about, like the type of character she is. She's very curious and she's very impulsive. Um, so a couple, t- multiple times throughout this book, she like wanders somewhere she shouldn't be and then stumbles into trouble or she sees a character she doesn't know wants to learn more about them and like follows them somewhere she shouldn't sure. and gets into yeah. trouble. Yeah. I was going to say I imagine that curiosity makes her an interesting surrogate character to discover not only the world that she lived in before but also Ghostland. Yes, correct. And she's also she's curious about why people or why ghosts are the way they are and that even carries over to like a big theme of the last part of the book is she goes to the Plains of the Dead before she gets recruited into Erlang's FBI operation or whatever it is. Um, and it's the Federal Bureau of Investigation. And <laughs> she... Uh, they, you know, you hate those CIA spooks. <laughs> she gets to the Plains of the Dead with her buddy Fan, who she still isn't sure if she can trust, because she wants to find her mom. She thinks maybe her mom might still be there, and that's what drives her there, not any sort of like quest or like trying to get back to her body. She just can't help it. Um, and what I really like about that subplot of the book is it's about like what you your desire to know about people who have passed away that you had a relationship with or wanted to have a relationship with and whether or not you should know more about them than you do. Like what happens, she meets, she does end up meeting her mother, even though it's not at first who she thinks it is. And then she meets another character who really hated her mother. And those two interactions are like thematically really cool stuff in the book where it's like, do I really want to know more about, this person that I hold in really high esteem, and if I actually had the opportunity to find out their side of the story, like post death, would it like burst some sort of bubble? Sure. Um, which feels very both just very human, but also a very like young adult or or early adulthood impulse where you like expect to get the right answers from things and and run aground on on other stuff. Yeah, and also that that sort of that moment that I think happens in in somewhere in like very late adolescence or early adulthood where you realize somehow like that your parents are just people and they don't have any more of an yes. idea than anybody else. Yes. Does. Correct. Um, there's even, there's a really, sp- now this is a spooky moment, Andrew. Ooh, spook me. So she spook makes me, it, daddy. She, God dang it. She <laughs> makes it to the plains of the dead. She, uh, fan says, come find me in 10 days. I'll help you get back out of here. We can get back to your body. She, gets recruited by Erlang to spy on some people who might be causing the rebellion, which might include the ghost of Lim Chan Ching, who she's supposed to marry. And she sees this woman who she thinks might be her mother because she doesn't know what she looks like. And this other guy named Master Ah Young, who is leading the rebellion. And while she's snooping around, she has to hide behind a bed. And then the two ghosts start getting down to business Whoa, and there's this no. like scene where she is hiding, listening to who she thinks might be her ghost mom. Like, yeah, 
And no. what's spookier than that? Am I right? Yeah. The beast with two no. spooks. There's <laughs> <laughs> um, just a lot of like fun little scenes like that that Chu draws throughout the book where it's just like taking a couple of characters and finding a really potent like scene for them to be in while she's also advancing the plot. Um, so while she's over there in the Plains of the Dead, she eventually escapes. The Hell Rebellion takes a back seat after like she escapes with Erlang's help. I won't give you the like reveal of what type of person he is because he's a supernatural being it's just a wild sentence (laughs) just to like introduce a hell rebellion and then be like oh get back to it yeah it's 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 really not what i i both like and i could see people being frustrated by in this book is that she is not a she's not a harry potter she's not a like um there's no special reason for her to be the person who goes through this um which i actually found kind of refreshing and interesting it's just she's someone who just ends up in these situations uh and then she learns about herself and what she wants in life because of it um i think that's that's an interesting perspective when you're trying to introduce like a fictional world like yeah yeah when you are when you are harry potter wandering down the street and everybody's like look at you you're harry potter you you're naturally having a different you're having a different experience with this new world because it is like shaping itself around you and you are on easy street yes and if you were just like a ron type just coming into this world for the first time then no a real ron gonna, type it's not gonna be just a real ron we're really down on ron on this show and i'm not inclined to correct it mm, I don't fair think. enough fair enough <laughs> um she does obviously like factor heavily like people want her to be a big part of their story so like the lim chan ching thing where he is getting into this hell stuff and actually other people are really just using him for his hell money um he does want to marry her and like have her, but mostly just because of like pride reasons, not because she carries any sort of special, you know, weight with her or anything sure. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when she finally does escape the planes of the dead and she's trying to get back to her body, uh, fan double crosses her and actually gets into her body first. And so like the last portion of the book is her trying to fight to become herself again which is both cool from like just a haunting mechanics perspective and also like metaphorically she wasn't sure what kind of life she wanted to lead. She's gone off on this adventure and then the after she resolves the mystery of who did or did not kill Lim Chan Ching, she is left with this choice of like, well, do I want to just kind of settle down and marry a good guy like Tian Bai? Uh, or do I want to go off on more adventures with my friend Erlang? Um, and that it that there's a couple parts at the end of the book that give a nod to that choice as like a version of do I want to you know break out of societal norms? Do I want to just kind of be the wife that people expect me to be, or do I want to like go abroad and study somewhere or take up a business sure. or something like mm-hmm. that? Um, and it's just a really fun book. I don't know. It sounds like a little, and this gets back to the the just just all the stuff that is going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And all the all the different like techniques that um, 
that are being used to introduce you to the world and all the concepts and everything. It feels like this could have possibly been a series that ran for a little while, I, but it yeah. wasn't sort of envisioned that way. And so it just didn't, I don't know. Yes. The, the three distinct sections of the book are opening. Oh my God, I'm going to have to marry a ghost. There's the middle, which is, Oh my God, I'm part ghost now. And I'm caught up in this bureaucracy adventure. And then there is, oh my God, I want to be a person again. And like, if you were put it in, in like a three act structure, maybe those are your three shorter books. I honestly was kind of surprised when the book made the hard turn into She's a Ghost now. Because <laughs> I honestly thought that we were going to get more like haunting stuff or we were going to yeah. get more of her like dealing with this rich and powerful family. And instead we get really interesting passages where she's wandering through town. Like, um, you know, like I said, meeting a ghost of a different belief system and being like, well, what happens to you or meeting people who can see ghosts, but like, don't see it as a good thing. Um, the, there's a climactic moment at the end where like one of the border patrol ox dudes, like, comes and takes uh not Lilan but thinking it's her and like just takes that ghost lady back to hell and we never see them again and it's really like arresting and odd to think about what is a ghost's life cycle and what they might want and mm-hmm. what they would continue to want after their death uh yeah. it's kind of cool yeah it's just, it's hard for it's hard for me to decide whether i just i i want things to be implied so i can just like think about the question or if i want her to flesh the world out more herself i guess that's kind of what i'm talking about when i talk about yeah sure it, sure sure it, it could it could possibly be serious because it just sounds like there is she has so many like cool ideas and like i can't imagine that she has time to explore them all like thoroughly so maybe i don't know maybe even do like a sort of Dublin murder squad thing where mm. the world is there, but you don't focus on the same character all the time. I don't know. She could do that for sure. I also, I wonder if she just hasn't thought of that because it doesn't feel like it's setting up bigger things, mostly because it is exploring existing folklore. And maybe that's what prevents her from feeling like she's doing bigger world building because sure, she's like kind she of, she does you know she did cop to you said earlier just like inventing a few things but try i can see not wanting to go too far from what is established or like do things that feel like they would run counter to what is established yeah whereas we've we've read a lot of eurocentric fantasy that is like oh this one's inspired by norse mythology but here's all the other stuff the author dreamed up and like grafted a magic system onto it and stuff like that and this is feels much more like engaging with the folklore as a way to engage with this uh interesting community of people what she like straights born chinese is the is the term she uses in in one of her notes about like the men the chinese men who then settled here and then sent back for chinese wives or the ones who settled and then took um you know native malay wives and like how those cultures like mixed or didn't mix um and that's a that the hierarchy that then comes out of that is then reflected in the hierarchy in the afterlife um 
So I think the like liter quote unquote literary ambitions of the book might keep it from being the like fantasy book that it is dancing with being at the same time. Sure. Um, but I really like Lilan as a character. I like a lot of the side characters. Um, her ama is her like sweet old like nanny who was also her mom's nanny and little things like how she is described as wrinkling her face like a tortoise is just really good <laughs> like one and done character description that Chu is pretty good at throughout the whole book so cool it was it wasn't like spooking me the reader but it was definitely spooking characters regularly who were not sure if they were going to get betrothed to ghosts or uh-huh. or killed by an ox man or eaten by hellbirds or sure, 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 sure. you know that kind of thing. Well, and then there are plenty of things in the Halloween pantheon, like a witch thing that's like flat on a tree. Yeah, it's kind of supposed to be funny, you know. Oh, sure. It looks looks like she flew into the tree. Like there's there is room within this spooky genre for things that aren't like explicitly trying to trying to give your give you goosebumps you know yes for sure for sure for sure Mm -hmm. um so yeah that's the ghost brian i think if it sounds remotely interesting to you you should check it out because it's a pretty breezy read uh and is pretty fun that's all i have to say about that cool if you the listener want to tell us what ghost food we should leave out for you you can send us an email at overdue pod. You said you were going to ask me more ghost questions and you didn't. Did you have more and then you just didn't get to them? If you were a ghost, Andrew, what kind of... I'm sorry of, to interrupt your thing. No, that's good because I was almost going to ask our listeners this and I meant to ask you. What kind of conveyance should I burn for you? So at one point in the book, she, she, needs, a, okay. she needs a steed to cross the plains of the dead. And it's sort of like the little prince where uh, she goes to Tianbei's dream and she says, hey, I'm totally not haunting you. I'm just in your dream. But if you could draw a picture of a horse or something and burn it for me, it would totally heal me of my illness. And he does that. And then she has a little wooden horse in the afterlife that she can ride around. So like what sick ride would you want me to draw on a piece of paper and then burn for you to get around in the afterlife? Either... Either like a cool moped, just like a rad moped. But you wouldn't wear a helmet because you're already dead. No, I would because I'm already dead because I'm a ghost. <laughs> or just look at any of the the cars in like Mario Kart 8. Whoa. And give, me one of those. give me one of those Mario Kart 8 motorcycles. Oh, like you do love the motorcycle. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I love a motorcycle if you... because I'm not a scrub because <laughs> I'm not... A scrub amateur. I'm not going to take that personally at all. If you could please burn me a picture of a griffin. I would encourage you to think about taking it personally. (laughs) If you could burn a picture of a griffin, I would greatly appreciate it. Um, Okay. If our listeners want to tell us about their favorite ghost food that we could leave out for them, please send an email at overduepod at gmail.com or send us pictures of the ghost house that you built. Put it on facebook.com slash overduepod or twitter.com slash overduepod. Thanks to Jennifer, Lee Nicole, Natalie, Starfish Chick, Annie, Sarah, Donald, Blair, Rhonda, Jackie, Michaela, Tom, uh, and Teresa, who made our sweet Spooktober gif. Thanks, everybody. That's a cool gif. It's a pretty cool gif. When did she make that? Like like a month ago. She's made it apropos of nothing. She's practicing making visual, like, you know, animated art. So made a cool Spooktober for us. Um, Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? 
They should go to OverduePodcast.com. Up there we have links to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and our RSS feed. We also have a listing on Stitcher and on Spotify, among other places, if you want to find us on those platforms. Uh, we have all the social sites Craig mentioned, plus our Patreon page, patreon.com slash OverduePod. Got some cool stuff you can get. You can tell us to read books. You can get episodes of Hellboys if you're interested in listening to us talk about Hell some more. Uh, $10 patrons get episodes of those early before mm-hmm. the rest of the unwashed masses do. <laughs> um, and leave us a good review in Apple Podcasts. Thanks. Uh, next week, I will be reading Pen Pal by Dathan Auber- Auerbach. Yeah. Dathan Auerbach. You're going to read it and then tell me about it. Yeah. Just I like sure we do every week how, on Overdue. That's how, how it works. Okay, neat. Um, boo. You scared yet? I'm horrified. (laughs) Okay, everybody. (laughs) Until we talk to you next week, thanks for coming and hanging out with us and try to be pumpkins. That was a HeadGum Podcast.